kindly agreed to be the chair of this year's Keith Shelley Prize. The prize theme is, is Songbird, and a lot of the things we talked about perhaps are, are, are held in the, the particular two poems that we are commemorating this year, which is um, the 200th anniversary of Shelley composing to, to a skylark, apparently hearing, according to his wife, um, when she wrote some years later, the skylark um, near, near Livorno, and and John Keats publishing his, his ode to a nightingale, which he, he wrote in 1819 and, and published in a magazine then, but in book form a, a year later. I was wondering, perhaps, firstly, with your ornithological hat, can you understand that, that those links between poetry and the poet and uh, bird song and, and, and the sort of idea of the, the, the songbird? Yeah, but nightingale and the skylark are both repertory singers there's a biological thing going on that the better uh, the, and the more complex their song the more attractive they are and the more likely they are to become an ancestor <laughs> on the other hand is the nightingale thinking to himself if i sing this better am i, go I i'm going to get the, the the juiciest females no he's not any more than Jimi hendrix is thinking when he's playing the guitar is he thinking i'm going to get really great g girls if i play this arpeggio really well no they're all lost in the music they are musicians they are making beautiful music because that is what they do that is what they want to do and that is what to what fulfills them and that is uh, not specific to, the, to a nightingale or to a skylar. It's something that communicates, that goes beyond the species barrier. And we, as fellow vertebrates, we can pick up on the intensity, the passion, and the purposed beauty of the song. Uh, it becomes part of us as well as uh, part of nature. If we listen to a really beautiful burst of song from both of those two sustained singers, full of variation then we can for a while set aside the notion of uh, our separateness from uh, our cut offness from nature and we are uh, uh, back united as our ancestors were as, as, as they walked the savannas once again we are a little bit wild once again and that fulfills that fulfills us to our souls that seems to be a clear attraction for both Keats and Shelley and a very romantic idea mm. of of, of accessing some kind of primal romantic m moment, a sort of, and I, maybe this is this is again needing to understand the the, the song of the the nightingale and skylight, but something that seems to be improvised, um, uh, not necessarily structured and patterned and redrafted. Mm. It's it's a string of is is, is this right? I mean, it, are, are there patterns? Yeah, yes, very much so. Okay. Those who have done intense studies are of. Birdsong uh, of of the repertory singers like Nightingale. Uh, one Nightingale was found to have uh, six hundred basic sound units, which he used to create uh, a vocabulary of two hundred and fifty phrases. Other birds will have different repertoires. Other species that have been logged and 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 the that will have different repertories yeah, and, and yet some in common and yet you would know them all for the, for, for the species they were it's not just something that you're, you're making up as you go along it's something okay. you have practised you will hear birds practising sometimes in the early spring you will hear them very singing very softly, quietly uh, 
to himself. Or sometimes you'll even hear two or three singing quietly to each other. They, you know, music is what they do. Song is 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 part of what they do, and uh, they're ex exchanging ideas, kind of jamming, uh, if, if if you like. There's been if we can shift slightly to whales. It's been demonstrated that this great song of the humpback whale, a song would come come in and a new song would come into a community of whales brought in by a neighbouring community and that would sweep through that population like a craze until by the end of that season everybody in that community was now singing the new song. Sort of earworm idea. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. No, this was this was this was cool. This was new. Yeah, I can do that. I can do that. And no doubt it made them sexier as well. <laughs> controversial in a way but Keats uses it the, the connection of song and flight this is something that's to do with musculature and ability to breathe and is this, is this yeah well, there's, there's, there's a fascinating bit of physiology going on here the nightingale doesn't sing in flight okay. uh, I'm terribly sorry uh, uh, Johnny, but you got the, you got that wrong wrong. I suspect you made it up. I suspect you thought it would be a nice idea that the, 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 the nightingale slowly fading away carries beautiful uh, poetic weight, but a real nightingale doesn't do that. Uh, does that spoil the poem? Interesting question. Uh, maybe come back to that some other time. But the skylark does sing in flight and only sings in flight. Skylark is a ground bird that forages on the ground and nests on the ground uh, and only flies as a kind of A to B thing. But come the spring, we'll fly up and up, singing all the way and singing without a break, sometimes for five minutes at a time without taking a breath. That's because birds don't have diaphragmatic, diaphragmatic, fragment, anyway, breathe with the diaphragm like you and I do, in and out, in and out, in and out. They have um, a more complex system that with uh, air sacs hidden without their body which also help them to be light and help them to fly they also have hollow bones so their body is filled with air and they have constant access to fresh air which enables them to fly which is extraordinarily energy expensive so if you've got constant access to fresh air you're going to be a better flying machine than if you're going <sighs> as you and I would have to that's that's one of the reasons why they why but why birds are good at flying Secondary use of all this air sac technology is that it gives the male access to a great deal of vocal power. So they can, that's why a wren can sing with astonishing power when it's a bird that's you and it could hold a dozen in your cupped hands. And that's why a skylark can fly in the air, which is burning a lot of energy, and sing at the top of his voice at the same time and do so for, without pausing for breath for five minutes. It's not hard to understand why Shakespeare hears it. Uh, obviously, Shelley Wordsworth, mm. I think, writes at least two, maybe three poems about about skylarks. This this sense of a real flight yeah. becoming absolutely, a, 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 yeah. Is is there a, a a problem which I think you point out with with Keats and and, co and contrast it with a poet like John Clare, who is incredibly sensitively attuned to the, to the natural world and taking this, this symbol and, and running with mm. it for either for your own personal or, or 
departing from reality. Yeah, yeah. I mean, all birders have a special spot for John Clare. He, he, because he wasn't in the front rank of poets, but he was a bloody good second rater. And he was the better birder than any of than 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 Blake or Keats or Shelley or Wordsworth. Uh, he was a crash hot birder, and went and what he ob- observed, he uh, he got from personal experience. And for him, when he wrote about a bird, he was writing about the damn bird. He wasn't writing about how, how beautiful he felt about it. Well, I did read a bird blog where they told him off for suggesting the nightingale. Was a she? Was a female? Yes, yeah, okay. that was that was yeah. At least he didn't say the damn thing flew. <laughs> okay. uh, uh, he would never have done that because he wouldn't have written about it unless he'd seen it flying. He writes about the nest which he found. The nest he writes, finds the nightingale nest, and that is absolutely that is as field notes written up, but but beautifully written up field notes. That is uh, that is absolutely unimprovable. The notion that it was the female bird that sang was um, was. Uh, yeah, prevalent for, for a long time. Keats, Keats sure. calls, calls, calls it a male. Pretty certain that, that Keats calls, calls it, uh, well, that I think he it a male. Because he, he was identifying himself with the yeah. nightingale, so it so, would so be soppy to it if it was a she. Well, I think he was probably hoping that he would attract the, um, you know, the, the, the nightingale next door, mm-hmm. um, literally. Mm-hmm. But... One of which is the temptation to romanticise nature, to impose hmm. ourselves on it, uh, which which Keats would probably criticise Wordsworth with more about this hmm. idea of the egotistical sublime. It, you, you asked earlier whether this is the sort of thing that bothers us. Hmm. Um, as a writer, does it bother you more or, or less than, than maybe as a as a ornithologist, as a, hmm. a birder? Can you can you separate those two? I, I don't suppose that, that Keats's poem is destroyed by his inaccurate field of <laughs> observations uh, any more than the poet, poems about the, the old myth of the nightingale is that it's Philomel who uh, was uh, uh, violated and metamorphosed into a bird and uh, sings a, a, a lament while impaling herself on a thorn. I don't think, uh, as a literal idea, I've, I find that all that convincing. But poems about such things, uh, with uh, you know, have a mythological power that uh, is undeniable. Yes. You've spent a, a long career finding words and uh, phrases and rhythms to describe the act of watching sport, which is this, um, which I think I, I, this is a thought I've stolen from you. In fact, that is this sort of moment of, of luxurious sort of unimportance that we can mm. we can imaginatively give ourselves over to and make incredibly important for the 90 minutes or 80 minutes that a, that a match lasts i was wondering if that has sort of certain conjunction with you when you write about nature and particularly about birds and bir- bird song is it, is it a similar striving i think i think there's two I, I, i've often been asked what sport and wildlife have in common yeah. and and i quite my you know i've come i've, I've worked through a lot of uh Answers one of which is absolutely nothing whatsoever. That's the whole point, isn't it? But I think uh, uh, my, my current fa- favourite answer is is that it comes in, in in the word of magic. I mean, people talk about Mourinho has magic. Mourinho magic. You get that on sober newspapers, supposed to be for grown ups. This man's supposed to be a wizard. But on the other hand, 
there are moments when you're watching sport, sport at the, at the highest level especially, when something happens and it is so extraordinary and unbelievable that uh, uh, it doesn't seem that it could have happened by any natural agency. It must be something supernatural. It must be magical. Say, for example, uh, Usain Bolt running the 100 metres in uh, Beijing uh, when uh, he not only won and won gloriously but set a new world record of 9.69 on there. And I can remember seeing that six come up. After I'd seen this, I was always saying things that, you know, look at that. Look. And then the six came up instead of a seven. And I was just, walk, well, I was just walking around uh, uttering prayerful obscenities uh, because it was, it was a moment that uh, seemed, yeah, supernatural in itself. Fantastic. The best possible wildlife moments have that, that same sort of, uh, I cannot believe this is, absolutely genuinely happening uh, in front of me now uh, I mean all sport is is great because it's a great narrative and you're involved with it all wildlife is great for the same reasons and for the same reasons but every now and then you have these moments that are absolutely unforgettable and confirm you and uh, you mean you you want to sit there and watch it again and again and again seeing uh, four cranes flying over my place uh, was just something that uh, had me just stopped riveting uh, I, 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 I ran back and got the binoculars because you know they had to be cranes they had to be cranes uh, they were extinct in this country for 500 years and they made a comeback to North Norfolk in 1970 and they are slowly, slowly, slowly spreading out across Norfolk. And then four of them flew across. I can't, I got the binoculars on them. And there they were, birds standing about five foot tall with these red patch on the, on, on, on the nape. And it was just as if, you know, four angels had, uh, had, had come past. Yeah, you know, sport can take you up there uh, or wildlife can take you up there. And uh, yeah, so uh, yeah, magic. Is it partly both the fleeting moment of whether you're spotting something or obviously in the case of Usain Bolt, literally fleeting, the rarity of it, the f and you can perhaps chase it again, but it, it's, it's, it seems to be constantly slightly slipping out of your, 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 your grasp. Yes, I love that. I love that, that notion that, uh, uh, that you can travel around the world for something that, that experience that lasts for less than a second oh. and will come home, home satisfied to your soul. I can remember perhaps most vividly I was in Colombia and I was listening to uh, an informal lecture on uh, ecological tourism given by a you know, very uh, uh, intelligent uh, lady. I was looking at her, we were sitting around a table and just looked over her shoulder and for it was no longer than half a second. It was as if somebody had shown a bright blue laser into my eyes, and then it was gone. Yeah. <laughs> it was a blue morpho butterfly. If when they catch the light, it's all about reflect, refracted and diffracted light, and when that effect just has this extraordinary. I mean, aeroplane pilots flying over the rainforest say they will catch a glimpse of a blue morpho from half a mile above. It was that experience, uh, and it and I, I have never forgotten it. The whole I mean, there were some other not, plenty of nice things on that trip, 
But the thing that I will never ever forget was that little moment. And there are other other things in 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 ver various sporting events that have have that same absolute uh, perfection. Watching Fu Ming Sha, uh, the Chinese diver, uh, dive from the high board. Uh, you know, how long does that last? Perhaps fractionally longer than than, than the Blue Morpho. <laughs> I can remember her, it was 96, they were all neck and neck at fifth dive and she came on for the sixth and each diver before her, you can tell a dive is good by partly by listening to it. You get a kasplish or a kasplash, they hadn't got the command of space and time quite right. And Fu came in and you just heard that thrum. Uh, she hit it absolutely cleanly, absolutely nailed it. And yeah, that's another moment of magic. We saw in our garden in, um, in Oxford, and uh, I was looking out and I saw this sort of shape across it, and I think it was a, it was a woodpecker. Uh -huh. My wife claims it was a palliated woodpecker, would it be? Is that right? Mm, no. no. No, not in Oxford. Be, not in Oxford. She's American, so maybe she was. Yeah, it, it, if, if it was black and white, it was a great spotted woodpecker. And it was hammering, and it took absolute. Yeah, it was a great chunk surface. And my immediate reaction was, I must go and get the camera. And yeah. I was kind of, and I met my wife just said, um, just look at it. Yeah. And again, it, it, it's this tension that feels very, very present. This, this desire that we all have to record to fix up all these mm. moments. Is this? Uh, it, yeah. Is part of the the pleasure then that perhaps we can extract from from birding is is, is letting go of that of, of being in the moment, being present. It is for me. Okay. It is it is very much for me. But uh, these days, uh, plenty of uh, birders, often very keen, very good, won't even carry binoculars, but they just carry their uh, camera. Uh, it's for them. It's about get, catching photographs. Any way you enjoy birds without okay. killing them, fine by me. When I'm out in Africa, often uh, uh, I mean. Uh, Travelling in a vehicle full of people with uh, cameras and long lenses and all 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 that kind of stuff, um, I just have a uh, notebook and a pencil, and I won't use that too often. But it's it's all the way these things take you. I won't be snobbish about it. Any way you enjoy it, it's fine by me. But your wife was right, wise wife. You see something if you if you if you go away, you're going to lose it. this idea of, of songbird as a, as a theme to consider Keats and Shelley and um, poetry and art in, in general is, is, is that very romantic idea of achieving immortality through through art. I think mm. it was Woody Allen famously said, I don't want to achieve immortality through art, I want to achieve it through not dying. Um, yes, I don't want to live on in the hearts of men, I want to live on in my apartment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's very hard to read both Oto and Nightingale and, and to a Skylark, which, which are full of, of images of um, immortality, that thou wast not born for death in, mm. in immortal bird, um, at, at a moment where, where numbers of Skylarks and Nightingales are in, if not decline, in, I think in Skylark particularly in... in, in oh, the sure. Red yeah, one of the most, most uh, steeply declining birds in the country. Do we have a sense of why both those birds are, are in, in, in such... Sure, it's, it, uh, it's, uh, it's habitat destruction. 
we're no longer creating a world in which skylarks are uh, can make uh, a living. It's changes in agricultural practice in order to boost agricultural yields. Various grains were being produced at different times of year. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 to do with the winter sowing of uh, of cereal crops. Yeah, which is some farmers are taking subsidies to leave skylark squares, so the skylarks can nest in these. Uh, places that are left bare and that's had some take up and some success yeah in the main you'll get a, a huge prairie field of wheat with a, a from which the hedges have all been mashed you get a lot of wheat you get nothing else it, it supports nothing else you say well that's fine we need the wheat everything else is a bonus uh it's not it's not because a field of that's growing something should be filled with invertebrates uh, that are aerating the soil and pollinating the food as part of the food chain. Is there something similar happening with, with nightingales? I, I was reading in both in your book, The, Me- the Meaning of Birds, and it, it made me chime with something that, that Nicholas Rowe wrote in his biography of, of, of Keats. And, uh, when Keats moves to, to Hampstead in, in 1819, uh, where he eventually writes uh, Ode to a Nightingale, that, that, that Hampstead at that time is effectively a sort of a building site that London is beginning to expand out with that idea of development is 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 past the problem with for, for, for nightingales yeah i mean in this this country nightingales are on the edge of their range anyway uh, so you know we're kind of lucky to get the ones we've got uh, we need to create more nightingale habitat but the, the nightingales unlike skylarks are, are, are migrants and so they will go down to west africa to winter so uh, uh, it's not just a question of looking after the habitat in northern europe for them it's also a question of looking after the habitat on their wintering ground and also the uh, uh, the habitat on their migration stopover points. And, uh, migration is a great strategy because it means you can uh, exploit the bonanza of insects in the northern summer uh, without being tied to the northern winter where, in which you would have to, have to change your diet or, uh, or, or move. And uh, the, But if you can't move because the habitat, the wintering grounds are gone, uh, refueling stops have gone then uh, you know, the way of n- the nightingale uh, as with other migrants becomes unviable there's also been lots of reading suggesting that it's it's keeps somehow feeling the edges of his own mortality that, that the sort of the death tinged language that that runs throughout it do you, i'm not suggesting for a minute that he was also feeling the edges of, of the nightingale's mortality but do, do, do the do the kind of grim uh, extinction um co- context that we're in which we're reading it to, to those poems today, does do you feel that perhaps that the does that devalue the poem, or does it actually perhaps bring out? Some I, th- of I mean, poems? I think I think the uh, uh, it's a, it's a great poem. A great poem is packed with meanings, like uh, like a, like a fruitcake. It's full of it's full of stuff. The more you look, the more you find in there. Part of it is uh, uh, obsessed with death and. Uh, uh, and that chimes in with extinction and uh, and, and adds nuances that, that uh, Keats was presumably unaware of. But, you know, what's he got to do with it? This is how we can understand it now. And that's great. But also, the Keats poem is a great celebration of a night, a nightingale saying, bloody hell, what a bird. That What a bird that is. And that seems to me an ex- increasingly valid response to such nature as we have left. We shouldn't just say, my God, there's a bird, It's the world's coming to an end, it's all ghastly. 
even though there is truth in that and it's a legitimate spawn, but also to say what a bloody marvellous bird, to celebrate the bird, to celebrate wildlife, to celebrate nature is a valid part of conservation, just as valid as to say uh, if we don't do something about it we're all doomed. You don't get great art about the ecological holocaust because most of the wildlife art is essentially uh, domestic rather than to be hung in galleries. And you don't actually want the wildlife holocaust up in your living room. You want something to celebrate nature. Both those poems celebrate those birds and, 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 and nature in a tremendous way. And so that also makes them good conservation poems, important conservation poems. Because we're asking our, our young romantics uh, uh, to, to, to consider that question about the, the relationship of art and particularly poetry to, to raising awareness and, and perhaps even prompting action. There is a, there's a sort of terrible um, prophetic warning that is the only place that a, a nightingale is going to survive in, in Britain is in works mm. of, of art, yeah. in, in, in recordings. And we can listen to be t that rather wonderful Extinction Rebellion event where they they played the nightingale song which had been heard in Berkeley Square uh -huh. um, but they played it through speakers because yeah. it's no longer heard in, in, in yeah. London um, yes yeah. absolutely I think that's that 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 is 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 a valid response yes ab ab absolutely that uh, with all celebrations of nature there is uh, there's, a, there's an elegiac uh, part of it uh, that is kind of sweetly and blissfully uh, uh, nostalgic but there's also an urgency implicit in there but but in the in the celebration of it say so, well you know we have if, if we want stuff like that uh, it's not enough just to uh uh ju ju just to know we've got to be part of something else as well well what else can can we do i, I ask you this as a writer a journalist as a as a as a, a nature lover but we have a uh, an endless general election going on um uh, in the endless general election there's one topic that matters, and uh, which I shan't even trouble to name. But do you know what arguing about this subject is like? It's like arguing about whether to squeeze the toothpaste tube in the middle while the house is on fire. The house is on fire. Why don't we do something about putting out the fire rather than arguing about toothpaste? If 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 you could give, uh, I, don't, I don't know how many I would suggest, one or two things that we could people listening could, could, could do right now um. yeah attempt to live uh, 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 more, more righteously uh, just do do a couple more things that you know you ought to do and the, the other thing would be to join stuff to put some money into the organizations that are doing practical conservation and I will recommend two the first is to join your county wildlife trust not a very expensive thing to do but they will look after after the stuff on your doorstep it's a, a kind of uh, confederacy of fantastic organizations and yes there is a london wildlife trust and then secondly because the problem is not uh, uh, local but global and support the world land trust which is involved in the business of buying endangered chunks of habitat in developing nations world land trust don't keep it they uh, help help local NGO to finance it. So out in Belize, for example, there's several thousand acres of rainforest that are owned by a project for Belize. A great deal of this has been financed by people giving money to World Land Trust. How optimistic are you that uh, 
that people are listening and and acting do you, when you look at oh people are listening all right people are listening and people are acting more i'm certainly aware of that i'm not it's not a question of optimism it's fact that people are uh, beginning to realize that there is a problem and that, and that it's serious whether or not it's too late is a different matter and whether we're going to do enough is a different matter but but we got to we are doing more we should carry on doing more never be satisfied well i think on on, on that note um, <laughs> thank you very much Simon. not at all thank you very much Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by the Keats Shelley House in Rome and the Keats Shelley Memorial Association. You can find out more about the Keats Shelley House, our history, our library and collections, our events programme and also how to visit us by going to keatsshelleyhouse.org. If you'd like to support us either by becoming a friend or offering a donation, please visit keatsshelley.org where you can also find details of 2020's Keats Shelley Prize and Young Romantics Prize. You can also follow us on Twitter at Keith Show. Our theme music is Androids Always Escape by Chris Zabriskie. Please visit chriszabriskie.com. <laughs>